Welcome to the Coworkers Podcast with Jesse and Shaney, where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. Okay, folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be joined by a very special guest, a good friend, a mentor of mine in the ministry, Dr. Chuck Lawless, currently serving as a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, also theological consultant for the International Mission Board, the IMB. Uh, like I said, I've known him for a long time. Uh, he was my advisor, primary advisor in my PhD work there at Southeastern. Just have appreciated his voice and his ministry and literally a ministry that stretches all around the world through people that he has mentored and taught and seminary and now through the IMB as well. So really appreciate you taking the time to be with us uh, today, Dr. Lawless. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be with you. And beyond all those big titles, Dr. Lawless, I just want you to know that your teaching comes up often in some of our like team meetings. We have teammates who get your devotion emails and love your teaching at our training, our pre-field training. Yep. And so we are really thankful for the investment you make in our teammates That's as right. well. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to do that. And I, and I mean that sincerely. A longtime teacher of our folks who are headed out to the field at their pre-field training mm -hmm. of the spiritual warfare module that I know a lot of people, we refer back to that when folks come out on the field. So mm -hmm. just really grateful for your voice specifically uh, in that arena. You know, like I mentioned in the intro, a long, fruitful career in theological education, now the role with the IMB for the past several years as well. So you're in kind of a unique position, somebody who's both in the seminary world and in the missions world. This is a topic that has come up quite a bit on this podcast, and I know it's out there a lot in the missions world. From your seat, how you understand and mentor others in the tension between depth and breadth in gospel work, between focusing on health and breaking new ground with the gospel? Yeah, it's a great question. We're jumping right in there, aren't we? Uh, yeah, these these are real tensions, and I think that's I think that's one place where we start is just to admit the tension mm -hmm. uh, that is that is just there. And and you're right. I live in in both worlds in some ways. In the in the seminary world, we tend to think more about depth. Right. In in the the missionary world, we tend to think more about breadth. And mm -hmm. both of those make sense to me because. Yeah. On, on one hand, our calling in our seminaries is to help people uh, go deeper in their faith that they might teach it to, to others. Mm -hmm. uh, for you all on the field, you're, you're facing billions of lost people. And mm -hmm. so, so that sense of we need to get the gospel out there makes a lot of sense to me, too. Uh, you phrase this in terms of, of focusing on health versus breaking new ground, and and I and I think that's that's helpful. I do think we have to think about uh, why we have to focus on health at some level because yeah. an an unhealthy church either won't last mm -hmm. or maybe worse yet, it will last. And not really be a church. Yeah. Uh, and, and we see that happen far too often. On the mm -hmm. other hand, if we're not willing to figure out how do we how do we get to unreached people groups, if, mm -hmm. if we don't figure out how do we, with a great sense of urgency, get to the to the nations, mm -hmm. we may we may develop something over here that, that lasts a little bit, but unless we connect that with the urgency of the Great Commission. And a healthy church has to do that. Mm -hmm. 
then we won't accomplish the task either. For for me, it is is the question of grounding versus versus urgency. And maybe I, I use the I used verses, but that's that's not good. Yeah, uh, it's it's grounding and urgency. And. It's, yep. it's yep. both and <laughs> that we ground believers in the faith, and that means we teach them obedience, but it also means we teach them beliefs mm. and content because. Yep. What we do on obedience, we do on the basis of what we believe. And so, mm-hmm. so we have to do that. And yet at the same time, uh, the, the expressions of the Great Commission, five of them in the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, certainly suggest to me that there's an urgency to this, yep. that we cannot sacrifice either one of those things. And so we, we live in that tension. And here's what that looks like for me. I think, first of all, we have to realize that every one of us leans in one direction or the other, which yeah. we just do. It's, uh, it's just, it's our makeup, it's our training, it's our sense of calling. And we, we do recognize that. And But at the same time, I don't want any of us to let ourselves off the hook mm. in either direction because of our leanings. Mm. Yeah. Um, those of us who tend to think more about depth, that doesn't give us permission to ignore the urgency of reaching peoples around the world. Mm-hmm. And those who are much more inclined toward frontline on the edge, that doesn't let those folks off the hook for what we leave behind has to have some depth to it. Yeah. Um, and that means then that we have to be okay with messiness as we strive for mm. growing good. healthy, reproducing churches yeah. that, the New Testament church is messy. We got we to gotta be okay with that without settling for that. That's we good. press yeah. on toward health. Man, you could say that over and over again. That's great. Yeah, that was very encouraging. And we, we have a lot of listeners, of course, who are missionaries on the field. So we want to invite you to speak honestly to us mm-hmm. and share as you interact with a lot of people all over the world. What are some things that you see that encourages you about how we are trying to do both of these things well, kind of one foot in going deep with healthy churches, healthy doctrine, and one foot saying, we have to reach more lost people. So what do you see that's encouraging? And then I also want to welcome you to share, okay, here's some things maybe you need to be careful about. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you for giving me permission to go in, in both directions. Let, let me talk first of all about my role with the board. I'm, I'm team leader for theological education strategists. So I have six units that work with me to help us connect with uh, theological training around the world, mm-hmm. often with an institution, whatever that institution may look like in its given context. Um, I am grateful that as a company, we we have been increasingly willing to appoint folks to serve in this capacity, mm. knowing that there will be some nationals that we reach who really will need further training at some level. Not everybody, but but some will. And given given the training that we're permitted to get uh, from many of us here in North America, we have access to such training. Uh, I think we are under some obligation to make use of it. And so I'm, I'm grateful that the board is, is willing to do that. We have, we have several openings right now in sub-Saharan Africa uh, mm. where we're trying to fill slots that we've not been able to fill yet. Some that actually the instruction is in English. So we're not even talking wow. 
You have to learn another language to get mm-hmm. into the classroom. I want us to fill those with the right people. I also appreciate that our commitment is, if we're going to appoint you to do theological training, you're still going to do uh, evangelism and church planting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's right on target. If I were king for a day and could require that of, of seminary professors all around the world, I would... Wow. I would I would do that. Yeah. So I'm 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 grateful for that. I'm grateful for the the commitment of our personnel to wrestle with these issues yeah. and seek to be creative in figuring out how do we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly as the world just gets increasingly chaotic. I mean, we've been through the last 15, 16 months where we've all had to figure out on a dime, how to do yeah. things differently. That's right. So I'm grateful that that our personnel are driven by a passion that says, all right, well, I still have to train people. And so I, I, I work with our personnel who are doing training via Zoom and Skype. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I've done more training with nationals uh, in the past year than I did in most years prior to that. We just do it via Teams or yep. Or Zoom, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad to have the opportunity to do that. I like the fact that our personnel are figuring out how do we still do evangelism. Mm-hmm. It's it's different, but we got to do it. So I yeah. love that creativity that is compelled by a burden. Yeah, um, I appreciate our personnel who are willing to say, "This is not my leaning, but it is important," and so. I need to connect with somebody who can help me mm-hmm. um, so that we do this together as a team. Yeah. That what is my strength may be your weakness and vice versa. And so we work together to figure out how do we, in our combined efforts, accomplish all of the great commissions we want to do. I like that. Let me shift gears then. Some things yeah. that um, Some things that do concern me a little bit. I still think we have to continually wrestle with good hermeneutics. Mm. Um, I, I think it's it's just it's it's a battle for all of us in some ways. Yeah. Uh, in in first of all, learning good hermeneutics and frankly remembering it that what we mm. what we did well in our seminary class we forget when we're under the pressure of mm. getting things done sometimes. But then even more so, figuring out how do we interpret the scriptures properly, but then figure out how to contextualize them in application properly. Hmm. Um, and, and learning that, I think we, we have to keep working at both of those. Yeah. At, at, um, from the field perspective, my experience is that field personnel recognize the need to contextualize. Sometimes I think we got to work on hermeneutics. Yeah. Um, in North America, sometimes I think we're really good at uh, I think about seminarians. We love talking through hermeneutics. We're not always so good at contextualizing. Yeah. So we we got to do both of those. I do think you, you asked me to be honest, so I'm just going to do yeah. that. Shoot it straight. I, I do think as as we talk about the tensions of depth and breadth and so forth, I think sometimes there is an imbalance among some of our personnel. Who lean one way or the other, and I'm I'm not even arguing for one or the other. Yeah. Um, but there's almost a sense of in some of our personnel, if you don't lean where I lean, hmm. then you're not really a good missionary. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Or, or you're not really being used of God to drive back the darkness. Mm-hmm. And honestly, frankly, I think that can come across as arrogance. I think it yeah. is arrogance yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And I think it does not contribute to teamwork. It gets in the way of it. Mm. Um, so I think we I think we need to get beyond that. Yeah. We, we need to figure out how to appreciate one another's giftedness and celebrate that, that, that mm-hmm. yeah, I may not operate like you do, yeah. but our combined efforts are stronger than what we're doing individually. That's right. Um, I do think, too, uh, and this, this is not just field personnel. This is local church pastors, too. I think sometimes when we see things that need to be fixed, we, we have a tendency to figure out how to get a quick fix in place. And it becomes a Band-Aid, but not a long-term strategy to make sure that what we're doing lasts. I I think we always have to think about, all right, here's what's in front of me. How do I address this for today? And how do I, as I address it for today, help set up the next generations, the people that I'm investing in, mm-hmm. to continue to do well in the future? We, yeah. we, have, to, we have to address the, the present tense. But but I want us to do that also thinking about if the Lord tarries is coming and we get to raise up more people to, to do this, how do they know yeah. uh, the principles mm-hmm. for addressing these issues mm-hmm. in the future? Because yeah. they're going to face those those two. That's good. Mm-hmm. Appreciated your, your voice in that, just your posture in this. I think it's coming through very clearly, even in the midst of this, some of your answers of how you have been, you know, we've been talking about these things with you in South Asia for the past several years. And I just feel like you've always been such a great, you don't just approach us and say, Hey, you know, everything that you're doing is great, right? It's not just this posture of affirming all that we do. I mean, you consistently challenge, you consistently push back and speak back into it, but always in a way I feel like, and I've always taken it this way, always in a way of encouraging us to do better, not a way of, like you said, of like, Hey, what you're doing is, you know, totally off base. I think just, learning to really live in that middle space and affirm and push and challenge, but to do so encouragingly. I just, that voice is so valuable. Well, and that means a lot to me to hear you, to hear you say that. Uh, one of the things that frustrates the life out of me, and I see it happening more and more these days via social media, mm-hmm. is we we critique and condemn each other without ever having a conversation. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. And I think that's patently wrong. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we have to agree, but if we don't, if we don't at least have a conversation, we're making assumptions about each other. Right. And and my my position is uh, from the board's perspective: if we appoint you, we have some obligation to try to help you be effective in the work that you yeah. do. And mm-hmm. and honestly. Uh, and you and I have talked about this. Some the Lord, the Lord has not freed us up to go to the field yet. Yes. We'll see. We're getting increasingly yeah. older, so I, <laughs> we may be at the point where we have to pay our own way. But uh, um, we'll help right. you raise support. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. But I, I'm just convinced that one of the ways I can contribute to the Great Commission is to is to lovingly but honestly uh, help. Our personnel, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the I think the Lord has wired me in a way to do that, so that I'm not unwilling to to share a concern, but also learn a lot from you all. Mm-hmm. I, I learn missiology from you all. I learn 
ideas from you all. And so why would I not want to, to have those conversations where both of us come out stronger? So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities to, to help. Yeah. Right well, on. keep doing it because we need it. We need those outside voices. And even I think of listeners who are hoping to go on the mission field one day mm -hmm. and they, I think sometimes feel this pressure. I have to choose my camp. I'm like, please know you need to live just like you're saying in this tension. You don't have to choose a camp. Don't put mm. both feet in one camp. That's yeah. not the decision you need to make right now. But how do we all with our own personal gifting steward that well mm. and also be faithful to the, the whole, whole task? task. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I would say we've got to be willing to get to know people who don't think like we do. Yeah. All of us do this. We yeah. all gravitate toward people who are wired like we are yeah. because right. it's just easier. It's a lot more yeah. fun. Mm -hmm. and, and when right. we all agree, nobody's pushing back. But when we all agree, we can also all agree and do something wrongly. Mm -hmm. we, sure. None of us needs that. We need yep. those voices in our lives. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Well, that's a good encouragement. So Dr. Lawless, long and trusted and now public ministry in the U.S. through teaching and writing, blogging, websites, chucklawless.com. Check it out. We're going to recommend that to everybody who's listening. Like Shani said, a lot of our team members actually get your daily devotionals have benefited a lot through that over the years. What would you say to that audience, particularly the, the U.S. audience, about what your involvement in missions has meant for you, for your personal ministry, your prayer life? your writing and your teaching and having lived in that world of the U S church, what should they be thinking about uh, with relation to missions? I probably never told you how I first even got interested in missions. I was, I was pastoring my second church in Ohio uh, and our, the WMU director uh, came to me, the women's missionary union director came to me and she said, do you want to teach our foreign mission study this year? And I, being a naive 22-year-old pastor, said, I'm willing to help, but I've never heard of a foreign mission study. Wow. Well, that's not what you say to the to the WMU director. <laughs> and, and she very kindly but very forcefully said, Well, if you're going to be our pastor for very long, you're going to learn to love missions. There you go. Uh, and I and I credit her. I actually I'm writing a book on prayer, and I used her story a little bit. Wow. In a in a chapter, because I credit her with with forcing me to look at this. I had to go get a globe to figure out where the country was that we were studying that year. So that began my my direction there. And then God opened up some other doors for me to do some training overseas, not with the board, but uh, with the with uh, single adults, Christian single adults hmm. uh, around the world. Just some things that exposed me to the to the nations. I tell you what, it's meant for me. First, it's just reminded me that the world is much, 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 much bigger than my world. Mm. Um, I, th I think about it this way. If every one of the millions of Southern Baptists knew my name, and mm. they don't, not even close, but if every single one of the Southern Baptists knew my name, which meant that I would be significant, I guess, in SBC life, mm. Uh, but if everyone knew my name, that would still mean that 99.9% .9 of the world would have never heard of me. Yeah. Um, That's good. Yeah. So even if I think I'm something, 
in the world. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's just a reminder that that uh, God's God's mission is much bigger than we are, which which means to me then. I, my church, my seminary, we can't do this on our own. Yeah. The, the task is so big that mm. we have to cooperate together. We have to work together. We have to help each other. Mm. We have to be forgiving of each other. We have to be honest with each other. Mm. Um, and, it, and it just has to happen that way. And then one of, one of the joys of my life right now is the privilege I have of helping to send people out. My my second church I passed, I was there for 11 and a half years, and I probably could have spent the rest of my life there. It was the mm-hmm. it was the largest church in our association at the time in Ohio, and my ministry had just gone well. And uh, I think I could have built my own kingdom there, but mm-hmm. I think what the Lord did when he called me to the seminary to teach was to say, I'm not going to let you build your own kingdom. I'm, I'm going to put you in a place where the people you're training are going to want to leave you. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're going to want to graduate. Man. And I, and I want you to help them do greater things than you'll ever do. And mm-hmm. so today of my, of my six units, um, four of them were formerly my students and a couple wow. of them. I spent a lot of time with one of my preaching Bibles. Uh, one of our personnel gave to me when he graduated with his, with his MDiv. Wow. And so for me now to say, I'm going to do everything I can do to mm-hmm. help you, to help those couples uh, just magnify the Lord. Yeah. Uh, there is, there is great joy in that. That's and I would say to North American pastors, if you, if you are connected with field personnel, mm-hmm. if your whole experience in SBC life with missionaries is you take the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which, which is great. So please hear me say that. But if that's your only understanding then you're missing out yeah. um, because until you see faces and you know names and you hear stories, you're not going to be best equipped even to promote missions. And I lay it at the feet of a pastor. I get really frustrated when I hear pastors or seminarians say, you know, the way we do missions, we're just disconnected from our field personnel. Mm. Uh, other people do it better because other folks have to come back to their churches and recruit funds. And I understand that. But in my estimation, if my church is disconnected from field personnel, it's not because of our system. It's mm. because I, as the pastor, am not prioritizing getting missionaries into my church. That's good. Um, and I, th- I think we have to do that if we want our churches to be strongly Great Commission minded. Man, what a great word. What a great word. I think especially just that word for local churches coming from you, you know, obviously we can say that I think from the field or maybe voice some of those things, but I think coming from you and even your proven experience there of living through that and man, just the the idea of building your own kingdom versus expanding the kingdom. I mean, literally your students are all over the world. You know, I meet them, we meet them everywhere that we go and uh, everywhere we are around the world knows, knows Dr. Lawless, you know, so you've been You've gone from being Baptist famous in the States to being, being global famous, right? <laughs> By the Lord's grace. So we uh, appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. As a career Southern Baptist, right? Pastoring Southern Baptist churches, teaching at Southern Baptist seminaries, now working for the Southern Baptist Missions Organization. Why is the IMB as an organization important? And not just 
the work. I think we could talk about that, you know, all day, the work that we do in terms of fulfilling that, but the role that we play in the Southern Baptist world, why is the IMB key to us as a family of churches? Yeah, I think, I think there are a few reasons. One, and I'm, I'm a strong believer that the church is the one who sends. We raise up people, we, we send them out, we commission them, but, but we have a partner in the IMB that makes it possible for every single one of our churches to play some kind of role in sending out missionaries. I think about, about the first church I pastored. There were 19 people there the first Sunday I was there, uh, most of whom were related to each other. Uh, and and it was it was crazy. There is no way that we, they couldn't they couldn't pay me. Yeah. Uh, so there's no way we could have supported sending out a missionary. But our our deacons, I think we had we actually had three deacons out of the 19. So wow. um, so we we worked together, and they were the ones who said, "All right, we're going to give at least 10 percent to the cooperative program hmm. because that's a way for us to." to help. And so my little church in the middle of nowhere in Ohio, we were helping to support people like you. Mm-hmm. My second church, we could have we could have afforded to to send somebody, but it would have been somebody. We could not have afforded to support thousands. Yeah. And what the IMB does is it makes it possible for every single one of our Southern Baptist churches to be vital in this task, to participate in it and get the joy of it, yep. of, of doing it together. I think that's that's critical. And I think we have to recognize that we really can. It sounds cliche, but the reality is we can do more together than we can yeah. do by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got to, we got to cling to that. The, right. the other thing that comes to mind, and this became evident to me, not that I didn't already know this, but it came even more evident in the last Southern Baptist Convention uh, meeting. There's, there's, it's no secret that Southern Baptists are, we're just in a unique place. Let me just, let me just. <laughs> I hadn't heard just, that. <laughs> these are just interesting days. Um, yeah. But in, but in the midst of all the questions and all the debates and all the arguments, mm-hmm. the one consistent thing that seemed to draw us together was the work of the IMB. Yeah. Um, when we Praise when God. we send out dozens more missionaries, when we hear their stories, uh, somehow when that happens, our our disagreements they don't disappear, but they they at least temporarily lose some of their force. Yeah. Um, and I do think I do think the the IMB can still be a unifying force for for Southern Baptists. That's what we started. That's right. Uh, supportive mission. Where we came from. That's right. There are other issues, of course, in our beginning that we that we wrestle through and, and need to wrestle through. Mm-hmm. But at our core, it was how do we make sure we get the gospel to the nations? And that's right. The IMB can still be instrumental in that. Yeah, I think so. And I even think to your point, just as we look at all the kind of fracture lines in the convention these days, and to recognize that it is, it's not only a, a kind of a rallying point for us to say, hey, we can unify around this. I actually think it's the way that we work through those things. It's actually the solution as well. The The point of healing would be for us to be get more involved in taking the gospel to the nations and have those conversations that you're talking about that will begin healing those other fractures, I think, as we focus more on that, that that is not only the source of our beginning, but I think the source of our unity in, in years to come as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think sometimes there are there are fractures that simply have to be dealt with in order mm-hmm. for us to do the Great Commission. Yeah, good. Um, where there may be a theological stance that mm-hmm. someone has taken that really that really undercuts the great and we have got to deal with that. Yep. Uh, we have that in our history too. But I also agree with you that uh, if if our hearts beat for reaching lost people, our neighbors and the nations, and we mm-hmm. see God transforming lives, suddenly the things that divide us aren't aren't as significant. That's right. Well, I hope that any pastor who's listening who might be thinking, I don't know a missionary, I don't know how to connect, I hope they will know we want to connect with you. And mm-hmm. the IMB is working harder than ever, I think, to yeah. make that happen right now. <clears throat> we have received a great challenge from our leadership to work harder in connecting to churches. And so, man, know that we want to, and we're also trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing that some of our partner churches do is when they bug us, when they yeah. email us and they say, hey, we need you to make a video mm-hmm. so we can show it at church, yeah. or we need you to send us prayer requests. That helps us because we're not awesome at it all the time, mm-hmm. right? We have other things we're doing. And so let's all work harder at that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's really it's really mutual. Churches have to take the initiative, but but so do so do our personnel. Here's a, here's another moment of honesty. Uh, as as I think about our personnel speaking in churches, I would plead with our personnel honor time time commitments that you make for <laughs> being in the pulpit. And frankly, I don't know how else to say this. I'll just say it. If you bore people silly, the the church won't invite another missionary. That's right. Yeah. As, as a pastor, I finally came to the point to, to call the board and say, you send me a boring missionary and I will not ask you to send me another one. Uh, and I and I get it. I There are boring preachers. There are boring missionaries. <laughs> I, there are boring seminary professors. Oh, right? yeah. They're probably all there at some point. Yeah. But the problem is most boring people don't recognize they are. And so we can actually help our teams by saying, you know, here's your giftedness. You're great one-on-one. You're great in a small group. You may not be the right person to tell the story. We just got to be honest with each other to help yeah. each other. That's good. That's good. All right. I didn't intend yeah. to go there, but I did okay. already. No, it's hey, good. That's great. You keep you keep busting out those honest nuggets for us. It's it. helpful. But I want to just talk a little bit about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just your love relationship with Jesus. I did notice you mentioned you're currently writing a book on prayer. So that piqued my interest, but the Lord has worked in us personally in the last couple of years, just in this topic of abiding. Mm. And we, we really believe in it and love it. And we never want to be people who overlook that. We would just love to hear you talk about that. You have a a lot. You are spending your life for other people and I love it. But how do you maintain your vibrant love relationship with Jesus in the midst of a lot of demands for your time? Well, first, let me say that I'm not balancing all this well. Uh, (laughs) There's a a reason I'm working a lot of hours right now, finishing a book manuscript. I, I tend to be a procrastinator Partially, the the numerous roles that I play 
forced me to figure out how to how to manage my time better. And so that's probably a good thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another factor is I was not raised in a Christian home. My dad became a believer at age 71. He passed away nine years ago now. Wow. Uh, we prayed for him for 36 years. And my mom, and I hope this is encouraging to our personnel, my mom just uh, two or three months ago, I had the privilege of baptizing her when she became a believer at age 79. Wow, that's awesome. 47 years we prayed for her. And I'll tell you what, she is so dramatically different that I I could not have written the script like what God has done. Wow. Um, I'll I'll send you a picture of, and actually I think it's on my my website. Uh, There's a picture of just as she came out of the water uh, in the baptistry and she's clinging to me. Wow. And behind me is my younger brother, who's who's a, a pastor in Ohio. And I I keep that picture in my office, just a yeah. reminder, you don't give up. Wow. Um, you just keep praying. Praise um, God. Because my mom came to the place, she wasn't with me, she wasn't with my younger brother. I felt strongly encouraged to just call her one day and say, where are you spiritually? And she said, I am, I am ready. I've learned this is about trust. And I am trusting Jesus. And wow. it's it was amazing. So anyway, that's that's a side, but I hope I hope helpful testimony. That's not a side. That's the stuff. That's the real that's, stuff. That's, that's, that's what we do. And it's that's just awesome. incredibly <laughs> encouraging me. What I've learned is that when God finally does answer your prayer, you don't worry about the delay anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Praying 47 years, there are those points when you wonder, all right, God, are you ever going to listen? But when he does, you're not frustrated with him. <laughs> it is because he took his time. You're just grateful that he did. And so yeah, no. those glimpses say, all right, I can endure. And, and wow. what it's made me do is it's made me just crank up my praying for others because, because God's still answering our prayers. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep at it. But awesome. Here's, here's my point that my, my home was not Christian. Um, my church where I where I became a believer didn't do a great job of, of discipling. I lived the first six, seven years of my Christian walk as a, as a teenage guy in a non-Christian home. I just I just lived in defeat. Mm. Um, and even as a young pastor, I was trying to figure out how to lead people when no one had ever led me. Mm. And so that's that's just problematic. And so I've tried over the years to to figure out all right, how do I how do I develop habits so that the habits become DNA? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think sometimes that's the way we have to operate. What yeah. we would love to happen is, is for God just to put it all in our DNA and we wake up tomorrow morning and it's just there. Yeah. But, but a lot of times we just have to be obedient and let the obedience become life. So accountability is important to me. There, there's a reason I write my daily devotions. It, it isn't because I want to put stuff on my website. Mm. I, I started that years ago when I was investing in some young guys and I wanted I wanted to hold them accountable for their Bible reading. And I thought if I hold myself accountable to them, they'll reciprocate. Wow. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, but But what did happen was I realized, you know what? I can take time every day write just a few minutes about what the Lord's teaching me. I can shoot that email to a number of people Mm. and it doesn't take me long at all. It becomes in essence a journal and I'm not a journaler. 
Um, it allows me to teach somebody else. My mom for years read my devotion every day. Wow. And so we can we can all do that. Now it has come to the place where if for some reason my my devotion doesn't get sent, it's not because I haven't done it. Sometimes the computer messes things up. Somebody will email me and say, I missed your devotion. And that's really helpful to know because somebody's somebody's reading it. Yeah. Accountability has helped has helped it become lifestyle. Wow. Um, responsibility is important to me. I think about my students, the, the ones that I get to shepherd now on my team. I think about my church. I don't want to be the next person in line mm. who, who doesn't live up to yeah. what the Lord wants. Yeah. Um, and I know we, we all live on that edge a little bit. How do we stay at the feet of the master so that we don't go there. Tom, Tom Eliff is one of my heroes. Tom prays every day that he would not do anything in the day that would give the enemy cause to mock his Lord. Wow. And I've watched Tom for years and, and watch him just continue to faithfully walk with the Lord. And that's that's the kind of man I want to be. Uh, so I, I try to try to keep those things in, in front of me. I love my local church. Prior to COVID, I was on the road a lot. It was a lot harder for me to get uh, invested in our church. But during COVID, I've learned again mm. how much it matters that that one of my elders sends me a text to encourage me or, wow. or somebody asks how Pam's doing. There's just yeah. something about that that says we're in this together, which means how I live uh, influences somebody else too. And that's that matters to me. The other the other things that that I I try to. I I do work out every day. Yeah. I do that because uh, genetically, I'm wired toward my dad, who had my dad, his brothers, his dad, all who had heart attacks at my age. Oh wow! Um, I don't want to do that. Plus, working out. I don't work out at the seminary gym. I work out at a local gym, so I can mm-hmm. hang out with people who don't who don't know Jesus, who are giving everything they can do to take care of themselves physically, but they aren't real concerned about where they are spiritually and. Yeah. I, I want that in front of me all the time too. And then I try to be self-aware. I'm not all the time, but I I've lived long enough to know that when I get short-tempered mm. or easily frustrated or short with Pam, uh, something's not right spiritually. Yeah. I got to figure out what's going on. Pam and I have been married. Stop telling years. all these statements that are making us be like, seriously, Ouch. some convictions going on right now. Oh, so good. oh. <laughs> that's my one shot. So I got <laughs> to give it to you. Pam and I were actually fixed up by two church secretaries uh, who, who thought we needed to meet. The Lord hasn't given us children. So we've spent uh, the last 25 years raising up students and, and sending them out. But she's the one who really does keep me grounded. She was Al Moeller's secretary for nine years when I served at Southern. And so she oh, knows wow. she knows intensity. Um, <laughs> but, but I say that because Pam doesn't have a theological degree. She obviously wants to be on target biblically, but she's not going to get into the debates that, that I might get into because of my line of work. But she loves the Lord. She's mm. the kindest person I've ever met in my life the most giving person I've ever met in my life. And 
she, in her kind and gentle way, will put me in my place when <laughs> necessary. And I and I need that because I know she does it out of love. I remember when uh, when Jeannie Ella passed away and Tom was was speaking at her funeral. And he told a story of a time when Tom was introduced, I think, as the SBC president. And he was he was getting up to the platform to speak. And Miss Jeannie leaned over to him and said, now, Tom, don't forget that you're really still a goober. <laughs> and, um, and, and it, oh, Pam knows wow. how much I respect Tom and love Jeannie. Oh, man. Um, awesome. Jesse. Pam will every once in a while <laughs> say to me, Chuck, don't forget, you're still wow. just a goober. That's a new best practice for us, I think. Well, we'll try to get to that place where we're secure enough to say <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's taken wow. us 30 years, but we're I think we're there. <laughs> Shout out to Pam, who's caring for aging parents today. Yes. And yes. You know, she's a... Uh, most Southern Baptists don't, uh, at least the young generation I work with, Pam grew up as a GA and an act teen. Mm. Uh, there you go. So, wow. And she was an acting queen. Oh, wow. Didn't know that this was a thing. It was. I didn't know it either. This was so long ago that she rode a train from Ohio to Glorieta, New Mexico to get her coronation, basically. <laughs> and, wow. and I have, believe it or not, I have in my dresser drawer her crown and her scepter that she got wow. 50 years ago, probably. So you can but always I, remember that you're married into royalty, right? I, and I married into a woman who adores missionaries. That's awesome. Oh, well, thank you, Pam. Dr. Lawless, just appreciate you so much. Uh, I think it's evident to anybody who spent any time around you or studied under your mentorship, just the impact that you continue to have for the kingdom. So just appreciate your wisdom, your love for the work, your support of us and many hundreds and thousands of others really all around the world. So just appreciate you, brother. Thank you for this time. Well, thank you, my friends. Good to see you. 